0: Hey Combo Nation, don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button. What is up everyone and welcome to episode 340 of Combo's Court and I am Combo. Today's show, Trevor Lane, host of Lakers Nation. And the NBA front office show joins in to talk NBA trade deadline moves and more. A fantastic conversation with Trevor. You can find Trevor on Twitter at Trevor underscore Lane. That's T-R-E-V-O-R underscore L-A-N-E. You know you can find me on Instagram at 1-2-combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Luca, don't do it to him. Trevor Lane, host of Lakers Nation and the NBA Front Office show. Welcome to Combos Court. How you feeling today?
1: Feeling good. A little little worn out from the NBA trade deadline, not going to lie, but, uh, but feeling good overall. An exciting day and a lot of stuff for us to get into today.
0: Most definitely exciting to have you here. I mean, you mentioned the trade deadline and it's so interesting how much buzz the NBA trade deadline gets these days. Do you feel like there's a large percentage of NBA fans that care more about NBA transactions than even the game itself these days?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, that, this is definitely a thing where the, the transaction, it, it's the game within the game, right? There are, uh, there are so many people right now that get so focused on it because it's exciting. We see stuff that come out of nowhere. I mean, I was completely caught off guard by like the Kristaps Porzingis trade. And that's, that's just kind of fun in the, in the moment to think about all the possibilities that are out there. So the transaction side of things is, is really important. Uh, Keith Smith and I host the NBA front office show where we focus mostly on transactions. We do on-court stuff as well. But this is, uh, this is becoming a big thing for the NBA, and uh, it, it, I think it's great. I think it's great for the league to draw that kind of attention and hopefully eventually transfer that attention to on-court play as well.
0: Most definitely. You mentioned the Chris stapps uh, Porzingis trade. Do you feel there
1: was a winner there, or what are you thinking on that one? You know, I, I like what the Washington Wizards are doing there in that one. Um, for the Mavs, I kind of get it but in terms of the best ability being availability and if you're concerned about his availability moving forward. But for the, the Wizards, I think it's a ceiling play. Christoph Porzingis, people call him the unicorn and everything. At his best, he can be a real difference maker. And if he's a lure to keep Bradley Beal long-term, then it's worth a shot to go after him. But I don't think they gave up contracts that they were – you know, in any any hurry to keep at this point, I think there was a little bit of regret in terms of Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans uh, giving them those deals, so they didn't move stuff that they were they were really hoping to hang on to anyway, and they take a shot on a guy like Porzingis, which again the the ceiling's pretty high there.
0: Most definitely, we might not get to every trade today, but you know the one trade we do have to get to: Ben Simmons, James Harden. There's obviously uh, other things involved there, and. Seth Curry was huge for Brooklyn, I think. I thought that was a key right there. Both teams get better, in my opinion. I would argue that Brooklyn won, but I think they both won because Ben wasn't even playing with the Sixers, right? And you get James Harden in return. So I think both teams win. What are your general thoughts on that trade?
1: Yeah, I think that you know, from the Philly side, this was a zero production trade, right? Ben Simmons was giving you nothing. He was sitting on your cap for over thirty million dollars and giving you zero on court production. So just swapping him out for James Harden, that's that's a win in terms of what their ceiling is now as a team. We could be talking about a championship, and of course, if they win a championship this year, next year, whenever, that's a. I mean, that's that automatically makes this trade a win for them. And that is now a very realistic possibility for that team. So I understand why they went for it. I'd be a little bit wary of paying James Harden his next big contract, which Philly is now going to have to do. Uh, That could get very, very costly, especially as James Harden gets to 36, 37 years old. And he's going to be the highest paid player. I mean, most likely we're talking about the richest contract in NBA history. That'll be James Harden's next deal. On the flip side, the Brooklyn Nets, I love the return that they got. I love it, especially if they had the sense that James Harden was leaving this summer anyway. If he's on his way out the door and you just got Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, you got picks, you got all this stuff. I guess I shouldn't forget Andre Drummond either. You get all this stuff for him. Moving forward, that's a big win for the Brooklyn Nets, if the alternative was him potentially just leaving them high and dry this summer.
0: Yeah, I mean, when they said they were open to discussions or it was reported they were open to discussions, they had all these podcasts and obviously NBA Twitter speculating Mm -hmm. if James Harden wanted to leave. When I saw that that went public, I was thinking, oh, James definitely wants to leave,
1: right? Yeah, if he had been telling them all along, like, oh, no, I'm definitely not going anywhere, I'm staying – then I don't think this goes down the way that it does. And then, indeed, we heard that as the deadline was getting closer, he was, you know, pushing and saying, yeah, I'd kind of like to go. So, you know what, this is a great scenario for the Nets that you found out early enough here that James Harden wanted out to do something about it because the worst-case scenario for them was being left with nothing, and they turned him into a whole lot of something. So I do like the net side of of this in terms of value, in terms of winning the trade. But, of course, if the 76ers walk out of this with a title – there's, that's certainly not a loss either
0: most definitely I love what Brooklyn is doing on paper even if they didn't get Steph Curry I would love the fit between Ben Kevin and Kyrie and what they have around there with Patty Mills and hopefully Joe Harris comes back but how do you feel the fit is when it comes to James Harden and Joel Embiid from a basketball
1: perspective I mean, it should be great, right? I mean, both of them can space the floor. There should be plenty of room to operate there. James Harden should be a guy who's able to really take advantage of all the attention that Joel Embiid draws. Uh, I'm curious to see what the pick and roll looks like between the two of them. That could be absolutely devastating. And remember the big drawback for, for Ben Simmons was his inability to shoot from outside. People will go back to that dunk that he, that he didn't attend, that he didn't attempt back in the playoffs, but It it was his outside shooting, and that just creates no spacing on the floor for you, and it collapses teams around Embiid. So what can Embiid do now with the kind of floor spacing he's going to have? I'm curious to see how the the Tyrese Maxey uh, now now works with James Harden because he's been fantastic this season as well. But I do think that on paper, this is a, a very easy fit on the offensive end of the floor between James Harden and Joel Embiid.
0: Trevor, you are the host of Laker Nation, so let's shift to the Lakers. I was saying that I didn't think a move was going to be made. That's documented. I said it on another podcast. Are you surprised that the Lakers didn't make a move? Or is it just that they didn't have much trade assets and you're not surprised at all?
1: I'm not surprised. I, I'm, I'm surprised that they didn't make any move. I thought, man, this is what I've been saying for weeks. I thought what we were going to see was they were going to use a minor asset, whether that was cash or a second-round pick, and they were going to move a contract. They were going to move a DeAndre Jordan, Kent Bazemore, to open up uh, a roster spot so they could go be a player on the buyout market. Now, what we're hearing is that they are indeed still planning on being a player in the buyout market. They're going to go after some people. But instead, they're just going to be willing to eat a salary to do it. And that can be really expensive. So it's got to be the right guy because they're in the luxury tax. But uh, DeAndre Jordan, maybe they decide they're going to part ways with him if they can go get player X off the buyout market, whoever it is. Strangely enough, Dennis Schroeder is a name that's already being thrown out there, which would be quite a quite a turnaround there, but uh, I'm not surprised that they didn't make a move. They didn't have a ton of assets to go and, and put into a trade, but I think some things changed two nights ago against the blazers when they suffered a, a humiliating loss to a skeleton lineup at best from the Portland Trail Blazers. I think that may have been a turning point for the Lakers where the front office said, we don't have it. So we don't have it this season. So we're not going to force anything right now unless there is some type of savior type trade, somebody that's going to come in and really turn everything around because a minor move around the margins, which is most likely what they're looking at, given the pieces that they had to trade, probably isn't going to do enough to really turn around all the problems that the Lakers have. And so I think that's when they realized let's not do anything. to to try to go all in for this season and take away from the assets that we could use this summer to make a a bigger move when we're going to have to really do more of a teardown. So that was, I believe, the mindset heading into the trade deadline. And with that being the case, that's why I'm not surprised at all that they didn't wind up making a move because I think they were looking more to next season than this season. And if that's the case, you've got to keep as much powder dry for the summer as you can. Do you believe that they think the season is a wash
0: or they're optimistic they could still, which sounds crazy now, win it all?
1: I, I think they're pretty realistic at this point. I think they understand that that the issues they have aren't going to be solved anytime soon. I'm sure they still feel like they've got a puncher's chance because you've got LeBron James and Anthony Davis and who knows what happens down the stretch. They're certainly not going to just take their foot off the gas and say, oh, that's it. Season's over. Pack it in. I think they're going to still push to try to win as many games as possible. But from a transaction standpoint, from the front office standpoint, I don't think it made a lot of sense to go all in after a deal right now. So I think they're going to do what they can to win games. They're going to probably be in the play in tournament. You get into the playoffs from there and then you see what you can do. But I also think they've been hit by a pretty strong dose of, of reality. And they understand that they probably just don't have the horses to get it done this season
0: are there any players maybe outside of shooter that you think could fit player
1: wise and contract wise? Yeah. I mean, contract wise, anybody that's on the buyout market at this point is going to be a one year deal. It's going to be a veteran minimum deal. That's that's, pretty much the norm when we're talking about buyout players so i'm not worried about the, the contract or anything like that it'll be a pro-rated veteran minimum regardless of of who it is um Schreuder's a name of course that's out there Goran Drogic, although he's been linked to the mavs although since they got spencer dinwiddie that may have changed there's also been some links with the miami heat that's another guy who who could be out there gary harris from the orlando magic could wind up getting waves so there's going to be a few guys That'll be out there. Tristan Thompson, who's good buddies with, uh, with LeBron James, is another name that we've discussed. So there's going to be some players out there. But the real question, though, is going to be, can they get any of these guys? Because typically what buyout players want is they want two things. They want they want opportunity. They want the ability to get on the floor for whatever team they're going to join, because yeah. in most cases, they're going to be a free agent in a few months, regardless of where they pick, whether it's LA, Oklahoma, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. They want opportunity to be on the floor. So can the Lakers provide that number one? And then number two, they typically want to win. Cause if you're only going to be someplace for probably a few months, you might as well give yourself a shot to win it, to go in, into a playoff run, to have that spotlight on you, all of that in terms of their, their own career. So, the Lakers, I, can they offer opportunity? Maybe, perhaps. I mean, depending on what the rotation looks like. But then the second thing, an opportunity to win, certainly not to the same degree as you know, Golden State or Phoenix or the, you know, the other teams that are at the top. You look at the Eastern Conference. You've got you know, Milwaukee, you now Philly, Brooklyn, right? All these other teams that are out there. So I don't know where the Lakers will rank in terms of the hierarchy of landing spots on the buyout market. So that's going to be something interesting to watch, too. That's so fascinating. It's
0: interesting. The Lakers have been, oh man, such a disaster, Trevor, such a disaster this year. I <laughs> mean, true. I mean, do you think anything from a basketball fit when it comes to Westbrook, Anthony Davis and LeBron that you could see them making some adjustments? I always felt, and I said this from the beginning, that Westbrook needs to play more like a small ball five, maybe that Bruce Brown type role. Is there anything you see that they
1: could do? I mean, they haven't had a ton of games together. I believe they've played 16 or 17 games together total so far yeah. this season, which is obviously not a lot. Um, and so that's a tiny sample size. We haven't seen a whole lot that's really fit. We saw Russell Westbrook go nuclear in the one game that LeBron and Anthony Davis didn't play. He, he went for 35 points and almost led the Lakers to a win over the Hornets by himself. And I mean, and so you saw, okay, he's still got something there, but we've yet to see it really click and with with those two other guys and part of that is just the shuffling lineup he said okay we're going to play five games with Anthony Davis all right now Anthony Davis is out okay LeBron's back I'm going to play a handful of games with him all right now LeBron's out for a game okay now we've got all three guys now let's see how we can adjust to that so it's been constant adjustment for Russell Westbrook and now you've got a complicating factor where Malik Monk has really taken off And so now we're seeing even Malik Monk be kind of the third option on offense and Russ is being pushed to the fourth option. So any kind of consistency for him has been almost impossible to find. And that I think has just compounded the issue where on paper, it's hard to see a way to make it, to make this fit together. And then when you add in the constantly shifting role, I think it's created an even bigger problem for the Lakers in terms of trying to make this work because he doesn't know night in and night out exactly what it is. The Lakers need him to do.
0: Yeah. And I guess him going nuclear, that game didn't really help his trade value that much. Right?
1: No. I mean, his contract is, is what it is. Uh, Yeah. The Lakers knew this when they, when they traded it for him though, you know, that his, his contract was going to make it really tough. If things didn't work to move on from him, 44 million this season, $47 million player option, for next season. That's part of why they need their assets for the summer is to add some stuff to him to a $47 million expiring contract and see if they can do something there.
0: So it looks like Russell will be with the Lakers for the rest of the season. You mentioned the Blazers. Um, the Blazers are calling it a retool. I believe they should go in full rebuild mode. I think Dame would be better suited somewhere else. I think the Blazers would be better off just starting from scratch. What are your thoughts on all of that and the moves they made in this trade deadline?
1: You know, I, I think the, the path for the Blazers is correct um, in terms of this wasn't working. We need to make some changes. I understand them not wanting to go a full rebuild and trade away Damian Lillard because he's their guy. He means so much uh, to their franchise. He means so much to the city of Portland, to Blazers fans. I understand that's, that's a very difficult band aid to rip off to sit at the side. Okay, we're going to, to part ways with Damian Lillard. Yeah. Um, that being said, though, Uh, I, while the path is correct, I haven't been a huge fan of the value they've gotten some of their deals, particularly the Norman Powell trade. I thought they could have got a lot more there. That was the, the, the real surprise there. I thought they, the value was not great for them, even though the path, I think that they're on is correct. I didn't love the value that they got. So now the blazers are in a situation where I, I see this as they get one shot at it. They get this off season, just given Lillard's age, they get this off season To try to figure it out, to take all the stuff that they got in the trades that they made over the last week or so and turn that into a contending team around Damian Lillard this offseason. After that, if they're not successful, I feel like their back's kind of against the wall. And then then you've got to make the hard choice to probably move on from Damian Lillard if you can't get it done with all the stuff that you got. Be a trade right now so it's a difficult spot to be in and it's certainly possible that Damian Lillard just says you know what I love Portland if it doesn't work out this time I don't care I want to stay here forever I want to finish my career here and maybe that's the the route they ultimately wind up going but just in terms of the franchise in terms of what might be best for Damian Lillard too as far as contending I really think they've got one shot at it this offseason if they get it done great and if not I think we're going to be hearing some Lillard trade rumors by next trade deadline
0: I totally agree with you. They didn't get enough value back for Norman Powell. And it's interesting because the Clippers, I think, did great. I mean, Mm -hmm. they get Rocco. They get Norman Powell. Do they know something about Paul George that we don't? Because that injury, from what I understand, is about a year recovery if you get surgery. Kawhi looks
1: like he can come back. What are your thoughts on the Clippers? I think they did fantastic. I mean, that was – When that trade came through, I went, "Oh my gosh." I think I put it out there on Twitter. I said, I said, "How long did it take the Clippers to say yes to that deal?" That was a that was right. you got Portland on the phone and they and they say, "Okay, we'll do this." You say, "Do not hang up the phone. We're getting the NBA on the other side. Talk to no one else. We don't want anyone talking you out of this, and let's push <laughs> this thing through." That was an amazing absolute steal for the Clippers. Norman Powell was a fantastic player. They got him for way less than what the Cavs paid for Karis Levert. And you can argue that Norman Powell is at, at least as good, maybe even a better player than Karis Levert. So that was a great value for them. Uh, whether or not Paul George come, comes back, Kawhi comes back, the potential is there now for the Clippers to make some noise. Let's say everything's perfect injury-wise. They both come back. <sighs> Clippers, the Clippers could be the team that nobody wants to see in round one of the playoffs, assuming they go through the play-in tournament, they get through it. Um, I mean, imagine if you're Phoenix or Golden State, and suddenly you see a full-strength Clippers team with Norman Powell, with Kawhi, with Paul George in round one, that certainly would not be much of a reward for finishing in the first or second seed. Um, That said, if they don't, and I don't think the Clippers are going to push Kawhi, I don't think they're going to push Paul George at all, I think this is a move for the future as well because now moving forward, you can bring back Robert Covington next season. You can give him a new deal. And you are locked and loaded, ready to go. I think on paper, they are one of the best teams in the Western Conference, may even enter into next season as a title favorite if everybody, if everybody is healthy. So it was a great move for them, but not just for this year. It's for the future as well. They are loaded for the foreseeable future.
0: Yeah, it is crazy because a lot of times when we look at rosters, we look on paper. We only look at offense, but that is an insane two-way roster right there. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, think you can put together like Robert Covington, the switchability he offers, and then Kawhi, and then Paul George, and then you add in Norman Powell, who's no slouch on defense himself. That you've got you've got the pieces there to really, really be a lockdown defense, an extremely versatile defense, very switch-friendly defense, which is what a lot of NBA teams like to do right now to deal with that high pick and roll situation that you know everybody runs. Um, uh, so that is a great, great weapon for the Clippers. And then on the offensive end of the floor, you've got tons of shooting and you know, Luke Kennard, Norman Powell, you've got shooting all over the floor. You've got creators, uh, you've got just about everything you need. It wouldn't surprise me to see them pick up another point guard on the, the buyout market and then off they go.
0: Speaking of point guards, Derek White signs Derek White signs with the Celtics, uh gets traded. I mean, I've been critical of the Celtics over the years because I think they have a very isocentric type offense, which I think the NBA is leaning away from at this point. I think heliocentric offense is not going to work going forward because of how many great teams there are. I think it's more of going to be of a Warriors model. We see this from Memphis. They have great team play. We see this from the Cavs. Great team play. Do you think Derek White could be that connecting piece with the Celtics when it comes to players, isocentric players like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum?
1: That was, you know, my initial reaction to that trade was I was a little bit surprised the Celtics threw in a a first in that deal. And so that that kind of that dampened the trade because it first came out that it was Richardson for Derek White. We knew there was going to be some other stuff going in. I was surprised that it was a first. Um, And but since then, I've been looking at it. And the more I think about it, the more it's making sense for the Celtics. My initial reaction was a first was a bit much to put in there. But since then, I'm kind of coming around on this idea of him being that connector between mm-hmm. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And in terms of role, I understand why the Celtics went that way. And I think it's a worthwhile gamble. He's shown a lot with the San Antonio Spurs. You'd like his three-point percentage to be a little bit higher. But you know what? I think the Celtics can get around that. If he winds up being that piece that, that creates that connectiveness across the roster, uh, that, that would be very, very much well worth it. So I think it's a worthwhile gamble, still a young player. He's a guy who can go out there and do a lot of things for you. Um, so I think it was a good move at the, at the end of the day, even if a, a first, sometimes we recoil at that. I think it makes sense for the Celtics to have done that. And, and I'm excited to see how he's going to fit there. They've also got Daniel Tice coming back as, as well. He already tweeted out earlier, you know, he's coming home. So I, I think overall it was a pretty good trade deadline for the Celtics. Um, let's end with this. The, Cl- the Cleveland Cavaliers, and the Bucs, I think, made underrated moves in this trade deadline. I think they did great. Oh yeah. The 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 Bucks, they are absolutely fantastic. I mean, they are the reigning champions. They're incredible. They blew out my Lakers a couple of nights ago. They look absolutely phenomenal. Now they did not look great against Phoenix last night, but you know what? The Suns tend to do that. Um, they can have some some really strong performances. But the Bucs, they they're just they on the same page. They know exactly how to exploit a defense. They're one of the teams, I say this all the time, the best teams in the NBA will recognize any little mistake that your defense makes, and they will punish you for it immediately. They know exactly how to exploit it. The Bucs are absolutely one of those teams. They recognize any time the defense makes a mistake, makes the wrong read, and they will find the open man, and they will just kill you. They knock down open shots. Grayson Allen has been big for them. Um, Pat Connaughton suffered an injury last night. So that's obviously a blow, particularly since they just traded away Dante DiVincenzo, but assuming he's back for the playoffs, I like the bucks a lot to come out of the Eastern conference. The Cavs have been the feel good story of the East, right? I mean, we did not expect this out of this team. We thought this was going to be another lottery season for them. They've been fantastic. And I love, love the Karis LeVert trade, given the situation that they're in. You've been given this gift of having this this breakout season for Cavs fans who haven't seen the playoffs in a bit. You've got to push all in and make the move you need to in order to maybe get to the second round. Maybe you are in the Eastern Conference Finals if you're the Cavs. They can play defense at an incredibly high level. Yeah, They were missing that extra scoring guard since Colin Sexton went down. Karis Lavert, I think, gives that to them. And he gives them protection in the offseason in case Cullen Sexton gets a massive offer from some, from some other team. You've already got Karis Lavert there to pick up that role. So I thought that was a great trade deadline as well from the Cavs. And I'm really excited to see what the Eastern Conference playoffs looks like because ooh, it could be we could be in store for some just fantastic matchups. But I would say that the Serge Ibaka pickup is huge because we don't really know
0: what go- what's going on with Brook Lopez's back, right?
1: Exactly, exactly. And what, what I love is, so we, we've heard, okay, Brooke Lopez is probably going to be coming back um, at some point, right? He comes back. But now you've got, you've got Bobby Portis in there who's doing, doing his thing. He's been great. But now you've got Ibaka as well. So, hey, second night of a back-to-back, Brooke Lopez comes back. You say, well, we don't want to put you through that. Serge, you're going to eat some minutes for us. You're going to be in there to eat up up some minutes. Or, hey, we're going to see the 76ers in the playoffs and we need an extra body to throw at Joel Embiid. Okay, Serge Ibaka, here you go. And what's great is all three of those guys, hopefully Brooke Lopez gets healthy, but Brooke Lopez, Bobby Portis, Serge Ibaka, they're all five-out bigs, right? They can yeah. all space the floor. And so you can still do the same stuff. You don't have to completely change your offense based on whichever big is out there for you. So I think that's a, that's a great, great weapon to have. And so I like that move a lot for them as much as I, I, I'm a big fan of Dante DiVincenzo. But it makes a lot of sense in terms of loading yeah. up for the playoffs and who they're going to see there for the Bucs to add another big and surge
0: most definitely an nba trade deadline recap if you will trevor thank you so much for taking the time you're always welcome back on the show where can we find you on social media and everywhere else
1: sure yeah you can find me at trevor underscore lane on twitter at trevor lane nba on instagram and facebook and then most of my work is over on the lakers nation youtube channel we do lakers videos every single day over there breaking things down i also host the nba front office show and keith smith and i cover the entire league there so we've got a youtube channel for that as well Plus, there's podcast versions of both shows that go out, the Lakers Nation podcast, as well as the NBA front office show. And you can find those over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever. And then, of course, all of our written work is over at, at LakersNation.com.
0: Trevor, thank you so much for taking the time. You're always welcome back on the show and talk soon. Sounds
1: great. Thanks for having me.
0: Anytime. Hey, thank you for tuning in to Combos Court. Appreciate everyone who tunes into the show across the globe. Big thanks to Trevor for joining in. Appreciate you. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button wherever you tune into Combos Court. Share this episode. Tag me so I could share it as well. Thanks again to everyone out there who supports the show. Be on the lookout for episode three, four, one. Combo out.